Okay, if everyone will come on in and get a seat, we'll get started this morning. And be sure to fill out the rosters in the back for your attendance here this morning so we can have that record. <clears throat> and I guess you can go ahead and be filling out your attendance for worship service unless you're leaving, but uh, you can do that online if you want to. And go ahead and do that. <clears throat> All right, well, good to see everyone, and uh, I see a few more faces that I haven't seen in a few months, so more and more of us are getting back to uh, worship service and our classes, and that's a good thing, and I got my second vaccine on Thursday, so I'm good to go, I think. I don't know, maybe I'm supposed to wait another week or two, I don't know, but feeling good about that, so. Uh... Oh, I look better wearing a mask, of course. Well, yeah, I know, Jim, you don't have to tell me that, you know, I know that. Uh, but no, uh, seriously, things I think are looking up with the virus. Uh, I think the numbers are down and all that, so that's a good thing. Glad everyone is here today, and of course this is our Senior Sunday when we will be recognizing our graduating seniors and their accomplishments and uh, wishing them uh, a, good a good future and of course uh, praying for them later on after worship services this, this morning uh, so they got to praying that uh, God would be watching over them, taking care of them in their future endeavors. And before we begin today, we need to, to uh, uh, go over our prayer list. Um, a few on here. Sympathies extended to Laura Fam Fowler <coughs> and her family in the passing of her sister, Linda Munden, on the 24th. So please remember the Fowler family at this time. Uh, Jean Henderson, unfortunately, has been diagnosed with liver cancer. So she is going, undergoing treatments at this time, so She's requesting no phone calls or food, but is asking for prayer. Uh, Jennifer McCoy's had a polyp removed during a recent colonoscopy. is waiting results. So please remember Jennifer and Calvin, of course, out of the country. <clears throat> Lawan Updegraft had a permanent pacemaker implanted on the 26th, and he received a blood transfusion on the 29th, and he's in ICU. So uh, please continue to remember Lawan and, uh, and Jane at this time. And then our sister Becky Whitehead fell on the 28th and broke her right arm. So uh, that's unfortunate. She's been back in, in our classes, but she's not here today, obviously. And then many of you uh, may have already heard, but um, the youngest son of Ron Horn, Dalva Horn, uh, suddenly passed away on Friday. He lived in California, and I think he was in Hawaii when it actually happened. But uh, anyway, that's uh, Ron's youngest son, Raylene's younger brother. And many of you know the Horn, have known the Horn family for a long time and knew Dalva. I think he was just here for Shelby's funeral a couple years ago and may have been here since then. So please remember the Horn family at this time. That's got to be <coughs> very devastating, especially to Ron and the, and the girls. So uh, please remember that family at this time as well. Anyone else we need to be remembering this morning? <coughs> Get my throat cleared. Yes, ma'am. Sorry, I'm, I'm having trouble hearing you. What? Uh huh. He's bleeding. Oh, breathing. Okay. Having trouble hearing you. That math. Okay. Emily, son, which which Dan? Van. Okay. Is is on his way to ER with breathing problems. So. Okay. Please remember uh, Emily and family at this time with. Uh, man's going to the hospital. Anybody else? 
these new lights are kind of dark, aren't they? Seems kind of dark up here. I don't know if it's that or just just me. All right, let's have a, let's go to our Father in prayer at this time. Father in heaven, we're so thankful for this another day you've given us to be together as your family, Father, and we honor and praise you as our God and our Father, and we just thank you for the blessings that you've bestowed upon us, upon this congregation and our families. Father, we ask you to be with those who have been mentioned here today on our on our prayer list and our sick list, those that are. Uh, mourning a loss, Father, we ask you to be with them. Help them to be comforted in some way and help us to know how to reach out and, and help them to be comforted uh, as we can. We also ask you to be with the doctors and those who are attending to those who are, are sick or uh, getting diagnoses that are not good. That they might be healed soon and can be back with us. Father, we ask you to continue to watch over us in our daily lives, our daily walk um, as, as your children, as Christians in this dark world, that we might be a light shining on a hill for those around to see your love and your and your uh, truth and our faithfulness to you father and we thank you for this congregation the people here the the love they have for you uh, the heart of heart for service that they have and in, uh, in the kingdom and we just ask you to continue to watch over us father as you be with this nation at this time our leaders that they might uh, look for you to seek out your will and in, in the in the do in the business of this nation and the ongoings of of what's going on in this government, in this world, Father, and we ask you to be with us as we continue to uh, work and play and, and uh, do our daily thing. Be with us in this study, Father, as we continue in the Gospel of John today, that we might be able to take something today and apply it to our lives, that we might be able to grow spiritually and to be a better example for those around. We ask you to be with those seniors that are, we're going to be honoring today, that uh, as they're graduating from their studies and school, they may... Uh, be able to thrive and, and go on and do great work in their lives, especially uh, great service in the kingdom of heaven, Father. And we just ask you to watch over them as they continue to do their lives and their endeavors, Father. Uh, we ask all these things in our Lord Jesus' name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> you can be opening up your Bibles to uh, the Gospel of John. This will be our last lesson uh, in the Gospel of John. It's been a wonderful uh, study. I think Gospel of John's perhaps the one book that if I was going to study with someone, that's where I'd go. Uh, I've heard other people say, for a quick way to evangelize someone, if you want to, need to get right into it, Mark's better, because Mark tends to be more succinct. It's more driven toward perhaps a Gentile view of things, so you don't, for people that don't understand the Old Testament so much, or the traditions of the Jews, but I think John's tremendous, and it's always been because John is different, and we've talked about, I've said that many times, John is different than the other Gospels in its style, uh, mentions many other events that are not mentioned in the first three Gospels, and I just think it's a wonderful book. Of course, some call it the Gospel of Love, and, and we know John refers to himself as whom? The disciple that Jesus loved, right? He never mentions his name. So interesting. And remember, remember, what does he say at the end of the gospel? One last time, we're going to read this again. Turn over to John chapter 20, and beginning in verse 30. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Wonderful statements. There's no telling what else Jesus did that we don't know about. 
John says that, right? There's so many other things he did, we can't even write about it. <clears throat> but these have been written that you can believe and that you can have life in his name. We've talked about that abundant life that we can have now. Not in the future. Of course, we look forward to eternity with, the, with God. We can have that abundant life now. And the next study we're going to do, I'm, we're going to dive right into a deep study of baptism, okay? Starting next Sunday. And, and what that means, and, and what that means in our uh, decision to uh, be obedient to the gospel uh, through our faith, what that means, how, how that came about, what, what is the meaning of being baptized into Christ? And perhaps look at the things about what the world says about that and look at some verses in Scripture and say, why is it this way? How do we tell someone, no, that's not what it's saying? We'll do that next week. But through our long study of the Gospel of John, we've had several weeks where we talked about the Word, right? Particularly in John 1. In fact, the very first one, first, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God and the Word was with God. And then John 1, 14, that Word became flesh and dwelt among men. Who are we talking about? Who's John talking about? Of course, he's talking about Jesus Christ, who was there at the beginning, at creation. He was with God. He was God. And he didn't consider it anything to lower himself, to humble himself, to leave heaven, lower himself lower than the angels, leave his glory, which we studied about at the beginning of his prayer, right? Leave that glory and come to earth to dwell among men in the flesh, to show us the word, the word of God to show us what it meant to live a life in service to God, carrying out his doctrine, teaching truth, showing love for those who are around him. <clears throat> we looked at this prayer for a long time, the, perhaps the greatest prayer ever prayed, where he talked a lot about asking, well, he asked God to look over those who he had discipled, who had followed him, and said in, in John 13, 35, said, you, the world will know you are Christians because of your love for one another. There's that love phrase about love. Talking about love for one another, love for God, love for each other. And then he also prayed that the Lord would keep them because he was leaving. He was going back to heaven. He was going back to his glory. And to keep them because they have to be in the world. And he said, what? They are not of the world. They're not of the world. They have to be in the world, but they have now been sanctified, set apart, citizens of the kingdom of heaven while on earth. We talked about that a lot, right? <clears throat> in fact, let's read a little bit about that again. John chapter 17. And let's just see what he says there, beginning in verse um, 14. <clears throat> I have given him your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then notice this verse closely. Sanctify them by your truth. The next four words are very important. Your word is is truth. 
As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. You see, Jesus says the word is the truth. God's word is truth. That's different than what the world thinks, though, right? That's a little different than what we see day to day. It's a little different than what we hear about on the news. In fact, some of you may have heard about an incident that happened a couple weeks ago. And uh, I'm going to read something to you. A couple of weeks ago, the Woodstock congregation over in, I guess it's northwest of Atlanta, right? Um, this fellowship, a woman that was a member of the church there, who had been married, had children, and had left her family, her husband, divorced her husband, to go live with another woman in a homosexual relationship. I'm, I don't know if you've heard about that, but it made the news. I'm going to read from a, a website of one of the local TV stations, and this is the headline that said, Metro Atlanta Mother Banned from Her Local Church. And this is, I'm just going to read some things, kind of to, to show you what, what, was, what the world thinks about that. What people that don't know the truth think about that. At the Hair Bar Salon in Woodstock, there's plenty of love to go around. Owner Crystal Cox has been a stylist for only two decades, and while co-workers and clients love her, she hasn't received the same treatment lately from her church family. In other words, the world's saying her church don't love her. The Woodstock Church of Christ recently sent a letter her letter when they learned she had divorced her husband and began dating another woman. It feels terrible that they won't let anyone come and worship, Cox said. Church elders informed her, writing of the opposition to her homosexual relationship, they told her to repent by April 30th, or they would remove her as a member and inform the congregation they would no longer treat her as a sister in Christ. Well, when I opened, I was kind of enraged, like, why am I getting picked on and getting called out when everyone has sin, Cox asked. The fact that they're going to point it out and release my personal business to the entire congregation of the church and tell them I can no longer come there, I don't feel is right. You see, when you have a worldview, that's what you think. Someone gets banned from the church, and they hate them. They don't understand that these elders that wrote this letter are doing this out of concern for her soul. We just read at the end of John. You can believe and have an abundant life. But that means you have to repent. You have to turn from your sin. And those elders of that congregation have a responsibility, a command to take care of that flock. When they see someone astray, they are commanded and they have a duty to try to straighten it out. Turn over Matthew chapter 18. I want to read something. I would hope these elders follow this. I imagine they did. Let's just read about that real quick. What Jesus said about someone who's, been, who's, who's sinning or offending others. Turn over to Matthew chapter 18. And let's just begin in verse 15. Jesus says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. In other words, you got him back. He's back in the fold. He's back on his walk in the light. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a brethren, a heathen, and a tax collector. 
In other words, Jesus is saying, when someone is in error, you don't just say, oh, that's okay, we love you, we're cool with it. And by the way, in 1 Corinthians 5, when Paul told the church to remove the brother who was in an adulterous affair, part of the reason for that was because the church was puffed up about it. They thought that was cool. See, that's how the world thinks. They're not thinking about the abundant life. They're not thinking about eternity, spending eternity with God. They just see things in this dark world. They don't see the light. <clears throat> One of those elders graduated in my graduating class from GACS. I hadn't seen him since. I, I, I knew him then. He's one of the elders there. But guess what? Probably something else you didn't hear is one of those elders, not that one, lost his job. Why? Because of this, publicity. He was fired. Now, I hope this brother, like the disciples in the first century, is rejoicing today because he got to suffer in the name of Jesus Christ. I hope that's happening. I hope he feels that way. I hope if that were to happen to me, I could feel the same way. But let me tell you something. If you ever thought persecution does not occur in America, you are wrong. Sorry, I'm getting a little bit fired up about it, but that is the truth. That's how the world thinks. I have harped on that during this study of John over and over and over. You are not of the world. The world is dark and dying place. <clears throat> it is not loving to let someone continue in sin that they may burn in hell. Not loving. I don't care what the world says. You have a responsibility to your brother. When you see someone in error, you need to do something about it. Not sit back and let it go. Well, all right, let me calm down a minute. All right. <clears throat> I don't know, I guess that just hit home, you know? Because, man, I could see that happening to me very easily. You see, the world's view of truth is a lot different from the truth that has been revealed to us in his word, just as Jesus prayed there in verse 17. When Jesus appeared before Pilate, the subject of truth was discussed. And we've read this before. Turn over to John chapter 18. And let's just read... Uh, this, the passage where Jesus comes before Pilate uh, on the night before he is to be crucified. Or actually, it's the day of. It's, I think it's, it's early morning of the day of his crucifixion. Beginning of verse uh, 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the Praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, he would not have delivered him up to you. And then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. And then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Well, Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you that concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? 
your own nation and the chief priests that delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. There you go, not of this world again. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. You see, Jesus could have called the angels. If the kingdom was of this world, they could, Pilate could have done nothing. He could have done nothing. Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come in the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Jesus says, I came here to bear witness of the truth. John 1, 1, the Word was with God in the beginning. John 1, 14, the Word, the truth, became flesh and lived among men. How do we know what the truth is? Pretty simple, right? The Word. That's how we know what the truth is, right? Today, many sound a lot like Pilate, right? Uh, in your outline, there's some stuff about a, a re research group that recently asked America the question, is there absolute truth? And this is a little old. This outline, I'm not sure when this came out. It's been a few years ago. It says that 66% responded, they believe that there is no such thing as absolute truth. Different people can define truth in different ways and still be correct. My first question is, does that make any sense? 72% of ages 18 to 25 express this belief. In a series of more than 20 interviews conducted at a large university, people were asked if there was such a thing as absolute truth. All but one responded this way. Truth is whatever you believe. There is no absolute truth. If there was such a thing, how would we know? Hmm. People who believe in absolute truth are dangerous. Yeah, they got that one right. <laughs> we can be dangerous, right? Because we're shining a light on their dark motives, their dark lives, right? Is truth whatever we believe, whatever you believe? Can you know absolute truth? Hmm. Well, there's two views of truth, basically, right? Two views. And it makes sense. You know, you can kind of logic this out, right? Truth, there's one that truth corresponds to what's real, reality. It might be called the correspondence view, but it says a statement is true if and only if it corresponds or agrees with factual reality. This view presupposes a law of logic, and in your outline you'll read it called bivalence, basically saying if I make an unambiguous declarative or declarative statement, it's either true or false. Not in between. If I'm making this statement to be true, then it can be verified. And if it can't be verified, then it has to be false. For instance, the world is flat. Yes, sir. 
Thank you, Bill. Yeah, what he's saying is you have to have a standard to show truth. And that's a great segue to just exactly what we're going to talk about here. So very, very good. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. What's that? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, appreciate that. So one thing I was going to say was for many years, what did people think about the earth? And you heard, you heard this in school, right? So you believed it, right? Because somebody told you in school that it was true. I mean, that was true that they thought that, not that the world was flat. But that's easily refuted now, right? All you got to do is look at pictures from a spaceship. There it's round. It's not flat. Either true or false, but not both. Photos from space have proved that. I'm standing in front of Jim Freeman and Debbie Bonadies and Mary Freeman right now. That's a fact. It's verifiable. It's true. I'm standing to the side of Wendy and Hannah over here. That's a fact. It's verifiable. It's true. I could say I'm standing behind Patty Lord back there. That's false. It's verifiable. That's what the correspondence view truth is. In fact, this is the view that the vast majority of philosophy was uh, founded on. You go back to the found founders or philosophers, they were viewing things simply by what reality showed them. But there's this other view now that's come around in the last few years. Well, a few, few more than just the last few. It's called relative thinking, relative truth, relative view. What is truth depends on a person's beliefs, depends on the beliefs of a culture, right? Not on whether a statement can correspond to objective reality, right? As Bill just said, there has to be a standard. Well, if there's no standard, what I think is true can be different than what Bill thinks is true. Who's to say who's right? <clears throat> a statement to be simply true means that a person or a culture can believe it to be true, and people of that belief will say things like, well, if that's true for you, it may not be for me. Or, we can't judge other cultures because their truth may not be the same as our truth. Interesting little poem in this outline. I'm going to read it in case you don't have one. It says it by a guy named Steve Turner who wrote a parody called The Creed. It says, I believe that each man must find the truth that is right for him. Reality will adapt accordingly. The universe will readjust. History will alter. I believe that there is no absolute truth excepting the truth that there is no absolute truth. In other words, what he's saying is, when you make a statement that there is no absolute truth, what are you saying? That's the truth. So in essence, you just canceled your own statement. Because you're saying absolute truth is, there is no absolute truth. Now, I know, I'm, I'm getting kind of crazy here, but that's what you're saying when you say that. So when truth is dependent on the culture or on the beliefs of the people, there really is none. One person say, Jesus is Lord. Another can say, Allah is Lord, right? Both are true since they actually express the statements of the speakers. This view seems to advance tolerance, civility, love, right? 
well, we got to love each other. What they think is okay. You know, that, that could be their truth. I want to be civil. I want to be tolerant of that. Just like they said about the Woodstock Church, right? The being very uh, definition of Lord actually precludes the possibility of both being Lord. Lord means one Lord. There's going to be one. All right? Those who say there is no absolute truth make decisions every day. Make decisions every day based on things they believe are true. I mean, think about that. There, when, when you turn on a light, when someone turns on a light, they believe the light's going to come on, right? So there's a truth to them that says that light's going to come on if I turn it on. How did they know that? Factual reality. Observances. Common sense. Driving a car. People get in their cars every morning believing their car engine is going to turn on and they're going to head down the road. Right? Absolute truth. And no one who flies in an airplane wants to fly with a pilot who doesn't trust his instruments, right? Can you imagine? Now, I, I grew up with a dad who trusted his instruments. As far as I know, it never had anything happen to him in the air. Now, he didn't tell me about it anyway. But there are truths to everything you do every day of your life based on factuality. Not on what you believe it is. There is a truth. If I was going to have brain surgery, and there may be some of you in here that have had that, I don't know. I believe you want your doctor to know some truths about the brain, don't you? And you might want to know what the doctor knows that's not true about the brain where they start cutting on you. Really, what happens when you say there's no truth? What happens? Think about that for a second. For people to say, ah, my truth is different than your truth, that, that brings power, right? Especially in the government. If the government can say, well, what is true for one person to another? Gives them power over your life. You can't say to me that I shouldn't be raising taxes. You can't say to me that the government should be having a public education? That's not my truth. Yes, sir. Curtis saying, even Eve, Satan, changed the truth and deceived Eve, right? And therefore, the Word came flesh and showed us the way. That's a great segue. Yes, sir. Yeah. That is very true. It becomes your truth, doesn't it? And that's a great segue. I'm going to show you another example of something that's going on that you may or may not have heard of. I can find it here. That, did, that is a great example of this idea that truth is relative, right? This idea that truth depends on what you think, what you believe. 
back in January, if I can get this website to come up, uh, here we go. Well, come on. Back in January, our Congress, the House, started a new session, right? And one of the things they did in this new session of Congress, hmm, I don't think it's going to come up. Here we go. Is they changed some things in the House rules, okay? In the Congress, they have a set of rules that they have to codify beginning of every session of, con of the legislature that determines how they're going to, uh, how the parliamentary procedure of the Congress is going to go and how things will be written up, okay, each day. Now, I'm going to read some stuff about, and it's going to be a particular party. I'm not trying to say anything about the Democrats, Republicans. It goes on both sides. But there is some stuff that you're going to see here. I'm just going to read it. Says Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Rules Committee Chairman James P. McGovern announced new rules for the 117th Congress, which will be introduced and voted on after the new Congress convenes. The rules include sweeping ethics reforms, and, uh, increases accountability for American people, and makes this House of Representatives the most inclusive in history. So you would think that's a good thing, right? They need to be inclusive, including eliminating the words father, mother, son, and daughter from federal code. Huh? What? Proposed changes reflect the views and values of the full range of the historically diverse House Democratic majority. Pelosi said in a joint statement with McGovern, McGovern said the new rules were a result of months of consultation across our caucus and Congress. Tucked inside the package is a proposal to use gender-inclusive language. The goal is to honor all gender identities by changing pronouns and familiar relationships in the House rules to be gender-neutral. McGovern issued a separate statement about changes to pronouns of familiar relationships in the House rules to be gender-neutral removes references to gender. Terms to be struck from, the, uh, from Clause 8C3 of Rule 23, the House Code of Official Conduct, as outlined in the new proposal, include father, mother, son, daughter, brother, sister, uncle, aunt, first cousin, nephew, niece, husband, wife, father-in-law, mother-in-law, son-in-law, daughter-in-law, brother-in-law, sister-in-law, stepfather, stepmother, stepson, stepdaughter, stepbrother, stepsister, half-brother, half-sister, grandson, and granddaughter. Those words can no longer be codified in the House rules. Now, let me clarify doesn't mean a congressman can't get up in speech and use those words. But in the House rules, those words can no longer be used. Their terms will be replaced with parent, child, sibling, parent, sibling, first cousin, sibling's child, spouse, parent-in-law, child-in-law, sibling-in-law, step-parent, step-child, step-sibling, half-sibling, and grandchild. Like I said, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to point out the Democrats or anything like that. I know the Republicans do believe in the same thing. But what your government is doing is changing the truth. The house rules. You say, well, so what? It's just words. Hmm. Let's take a look at that for a second. Let's take a look at what that means to say we need to include genders of people who don't believe they are of the gender they are. In the Bible, all you got to do is turn over to Genesis 1. Now let's do that. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, 
Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Turn over to chapter 2. Verse 18. And the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I shall make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was the name, its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not one found, a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept, and he took over one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib of which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. He brought her to the man, and Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. And then notice this verse. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You see, God created man and woman, male and female, in his image. Separate so that they could come back together and be joined in marriage. Ordained by God. Instituted by God. Created by God. You say, well, what's the big deal about somebody that has a gender identity problem? Do you know that we now have an assistant secretary to the Health and Human Services position in the president's cabinet? Who is a doctor, a male doctor who dresses as a woman? Did you know that? First time that's happened in our U.S. government. Now I know, well, that's just somebody dressing up as a woman, right? No big deal. What's the big deal? I know folks that are older remember the show MASH, right? Some of you old younger folks, I don't know, you may not have seen it. You remember the character on MASH, Klinger? Remember Klinger? How did Klinger dress on MASH? He wore dresses. Why did he wear dresses? Have you ever wondered that? They don't really say because he wanted to get out of the army. He wanted a section eight, which says he's mentally not fit to be in the army. You see, it used to be when someone dressed up as a woman, we considered them insane. But our government doesn't do that anymore. They want to include all who think they're a woman when they're really a man, and vice versa. Well, you say, well, what's the big deal? What's wrong with that? So what? Hmm. It goes against God's design. Scripture is full of words like father, mother, son, daughter, man, woman. Because that's God's design. It comes from him. And by the way, if you don't think there's anything wrong with a man dressing as a woman or a woman dressing as a man, hmm, turn over to Deuteronomy. You might want to remember this verse. Because I'm telling you, folks, it's going to get worse. Deuteronomy 22. Let's just begin in verse 1 of Deuteronomy 22. You shall not see your brother's ox or sheep going astray and hide yourself from them. You shall certainly bring them back to your brother. And if your brother is, and if your brother is not near you or if you do not know him, then you shall bring it to your own house and it shall remain with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. You shall do the same with his donkey and so shall you do with his garment with any lost thing of your brother's 
which he has lost and you have found, you shall do likewise. You must not hide yourself. You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fall down along the road and hide yourself from them. You shall surely help him lift them up again. And then this verse. A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. I bet a lot of you didn't even know that was in the Bible, did you? Yes, sir. Verses 26 and 27. Woman and man have left the natural for the unnatural. So, I, I don't mean to be jumping on any particular person or people. I'm just telling you, this comes when truth doesn't matter. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. There's already stuff going on about having boys participate with girls in sports, which is ridiculous. The biblical truth is, there is absolute truth. And as Bill said, you had to have a standard. There's our standard right there. Yes, sir. You, you can do anything you want. You can say, I'm not going to pay you what I'm supposed to pay you because I don't believe that's truth. I don't believe that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Biblical statements, there are plenty of biblical statements regarding truth. We're running out of time. You can read what we've read in John 14 and 6. Jesus is the truth. He is the only way to the Father. We've read that several times. 14, 17, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and guided the apostles into all truth. John 17, 17, the word of God is truth. Psalm 96, the whole, uh, whole chapter there is talking about the judgment of God is according to his truth. Ephesians 4, 17 to 32, Christians should walk in truth as revealed by Jesus, including a standard of morality that he taught. There is a standard of morality. We get it from the word. The word is truth. And also there is a truth that we read about in 2 Thessalonians that Paul said, many ears will turn away from the truth. And as Kurt just said, he, he believes they're just liars, and that's true. People know there has to be a standard. How are you going to know anything? How are you going to know anything without a standard? The Bible reveals a lot about truth. Truth is what is real. It can be a, it's a correspondence view. God's real and reveals what is real. And God is truth, and what he says is truth. You may call yourself a Christian, but if you don't believe his word is truth, if you don't believe you can see absolute truth, and we can't in our fleshly bodies, we're not perfect, we can't see the full truth. We, we can see things in reality, but we don't know the absolute truth unless it's revealed through his word. And I've said that many times before. That's how we know. Correspondence view of truth is the only view a Christian can take. 
It really is. Right? And that, I mean, that's common sense. Kurt said, yeah, that's common sense, right? Either something's true or it's not. I'm a programmer. I work in binary all the time when I'm coding stuff. Something's either a zero or a one. It's on or off. It's true or false. That's the way it is in this world. God designed it, made a male and female. There is no in between. You accept Jesus or you don't. You accept him as his, and his word, and you accept him as the source of truth, or you don't. That affects your abundant life, folks. That affects your salvation. That affects your ability to live in the kingdom now and throughout eternity. And you're in eternity now, folks. If you believe and have obeyed, become a child of God, you are living in eternity. I hope that every one of you are enjoying your abundant life in Christ. I hope you have the joy that passes all understanding. This has been a wonderful study from the Gospel of John. I hope you enjoyed it. Like I said, next week we'll get into baptism, get into the nitty-gritty of it. But thank you for being here. Our time is up.